Psalter like this one. This psalm is unique, even within the book of praises, and that's what I want to show you this morning, so that you'll always be able to return to it again and again and draw benefits from the ripening of God's golden fruit in your life. So this morning, uh, the message, I'm just going to give you basically three points. I'll try to make them clear if you're writing them down. And every one of them is just designed to show you that this is the apple tree in the forest. If you want a title for the message, you can title it The Apple Tree. And it's uniquely appropriate for a church's praise service. First of all, this is due to the kind of praise that is given in this passage. All right, so why is this psalm so appropriate for us? Well, it's found in the title of the book as Praises, but even in the book of Praises, this particular psalm refers to a specific type of praise that we are giving, and that is the word that occurs repeatedly in the psalm for praise. You probably guessed by now, it is the word bless. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Both of them begin with that word. Look at the last three verses of the psalm. Each one of them begins with that word. The very last line of the psalm also begins with that word. So you have, you have six occurrences of that word bless in this psalm. Now, I want to enlarge on that for a moment in order to clarify for you the uniqueness of this passage. The Hebrew word that is translated as bless is one of about 19 or 20 Hebrew roots that are used in this book for doing this kind of thing. One of those roots is the word translated as praise. That's the big, all-encompassing term, the one that is found in the Hebrew word tehillim, praises. But then you have about 19 or 20 other Hebrew roots translated in various ways and found in this book, and they're not quite synonyms, but they're all cousins because they all play the same note of praising the Lord, and this is one of them. Some of those other words occur once or twice. Some of them occur many times. Uh, some of the major wor words are ones like the word thank, thanking the Lord. That's a kind of praising Him. Or glorify the Lord. Or magnify the Lord. One psalm begins by saying, I will extol you, God and King. That is also uh, referring to a type of praising. Another word is to rejoice. Another one translated 24 times. Be glad. A kind of praising. I won't give you any more, but here's the point. The overarching umbrella, okay, is praises. Right? Now, you want specifics on that? Okay, then be glad, rejoice, extol, thank, bless the Lord, and so on. Now, let me be clear that none of those words are completely exclusive of the others. In other words, you can't take the 19 or 20 words and say this is the distinctive feature of this one or that one, and none of the other words are going to overlap with that distinctive feature. And yet some of them do have a distinction about them. 
And that is the case with the word bless, which we have in Psalm 103. So what is it about blessing that makes it a distinctive kind of praising? Well, I want to try to give this to you uh, in three sub-points, and I can introduce it to you by having you turn to Psalm 29, if you would turn to Psalm 29 very quickly. Look at the last line of that psalm. You'll see the word translated as bless, and what I'm looking for here really is an illustration of what it means to bless and why it's distinctive among all the other kinds of praising that we do. Look at the last line, which says, The Lord will bless His people with peace. All right, now listen to me. You would not say the Lord will praise His people with, pre- with peace, or the Lord will thank His people with peace, or the Lord will extol His people with peace. So that little exercise indicates that there really is something distinctive about the Lord will bless His people. And the thing that is distinctive is found in the last two words of the line because it says the Lord will bless His people with peace. In other words, when we talk about being blessed, we are referring to the fact that we have received something specific. Uh, I mean, throughout the Psalter and actually throughout your Bible, God is often praised for what He is, right? For His character and His attributes. God is also often praised for His actions or the things that He does. But there is a kind of praise that you give to God when you have received something. I can put it in these terms. You have received something you can almost hold in your hands. Um, You can hold in your hands the food that you will eat for lunch. And God is the source of that food. You have an invoice in your hand that was paid and you never thought you would have the money for it. But God provided that for you. You can hold a newborn baby in your hands and that child came from God. Well, Psalm 29 says, that the Lord will bless His people with peace, and you know what that means, to hold that in your heart. In other words, a blessing is something good. It's a benefit that you received from God, and when you call it a blessing, what you're doing is recognizing Him as the source of that benefit. Now, quite often we do this without thinking, don't we? Something happens in a service like this, and we get up to leave. We we might say to someone, that was such a blessing. And really, it, it, it doesn't just mean I really enjoyed this, and that's it. What it means is I got something from it. I got something from what was sung or played or taught from the Bible. That was such a blessing, we say. Now, if that's the case, then, what does it mean to bless God? Because I want to ask you a question. How can we give anything to God that is a benefit to Him? In other words, I totally understand that the Lord will bless His people with something tangible. 
Well, something they can hold in their hands or hold in their heart. I understand that. Okay. But how can we bless God? Well, clearly what is happening when we do that is we are turning our attention from from the gift to the what? To the giver. From the gift to the giver. That was such a blessing. Oh, bless the Lord. From the gift to the giver. Now, scripturally, this means that there is a sense in which we are giving back to God for something that was specifically gifted to us. What are we giving back to him? To Halim. We are giving him praise. And somebody says, well, what's the point of that? I mean, why does that matter so much to God? Well, think of all the exhortations in Scripture to use your voices to sing to the Lord and praise the Lord and worship the Lord and bless the Lord. And what's the point of doing that? Well, all of that verbal praise is bringing him glory, which is the chief end for which he created people and angels and all things. This is why God values people praising him so much. It magnifies him. We just celebrated Mother's Day last week. Why do we lift up mothers on that day? Why do we praise them for all that they do in the home and the family? Because we are magnifying their position. We are talking about mom to others. We are thanking her for her service. We are putting her on a pedestal with what we say about her and what we give her on that day. We are magnifying, a thing of magnification, we are making her look big so that others will see her qualities. They will rejoice with us. Well, that's what happens when we give praise to the Lord. We are glorifying, we are magnifying, we are making Him look big, which is not just a one-day celebration, but the very chief end of man. That is why the first three words of our church purpose statement, which we have on the wall over here, uh, says what it does, that we exist to glorify God. I mean, that is ultimately why we are here today. To glorify Him with what we do, yes, but to glorify Him with what we say as well. Now, that is also why when you come to the end of the Psalter, you have those five Great, concluding, climaxing psalms that I mentioned earlier. Psalm 146 to 150. If you listen to what the Spirit of God is saying there, He is going to summon every single created thing to praise God, whether they have a voice or not. I mean, even in their voicelessness and lifelessness, whether they are mountains or rivers, or sun, or moon, or stars. They are all to glorify Him like this. And then everything that has breath is supposed to praise Him audibly. When you look at your life and what God gave to you, I can look at that thing specifically. All right, now I need to look up from the gift to the giver. Because there is something in me that wants to give back. And what God asks you for is this, all right, praise me. 
and I'm going to call it blessing me. It's like you are benefiting me or giving me what I, what I count to be a great good which I desire and for which I created you. It's a powerful thing. So why is this psalm appropriate for us today? Why is it the apple tree in the forest? The first reason is because of the kind of praise it's talking about. Out of all the kinds of praises found in Scripture, this passage is talking about one that comes right out of the experience of the person praising and his recognition that God did real good to me. I've got a tangible benefit here. God is the giver, and I will praise him for that. I will bless him. Now, let me finish this point with an observation. Out of all 150 Psalms, there's only about a dozen or so that use this kind of language. Where someone is looking at God and saying things like, bless the Lord, bless the name of the Lord. Or they actually address God and say, bless you. Oh, Lord, you are blessed. There's only a very small cluster of psalms that do that, less than 10%. So that puts this psalm in a very small orchard in the forest, doesn't it? But now I want you to turn to Psalm 34 for a little comparison exercise among those few psalms. This will lead us into our next point. Psalm 34 Verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So this is one of those psalms talking about blessing the Lord. But let me ask you a question here. What is the difference between I will bless the Lord and the way Psalm 103 uses the word bless? Bless the Lord, O my soul, or bless the Lord, you his angels. What's the difference between those two things, all right? I will bless the Lord at all times and bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, some of those Psalms use the word bless in the sense that this is something we have determined to do. We decide to do it. We commit ourselves to blessing God. In other words, Psalm 34 is really a self-determination. I've decided to do this. I will bless the Lord. But when you look at Psalm 103, the writer is not speaking of something that he has made a decision about now. What you have here is actually a summons. And that brings me to the second major point in the message, which I think will help us understand the uniqueness of this passage. Number one, it uses a specific kind of praising in the whole book of Psalms, which has to do with the benefits we have received. It's not just praising God because he's omniscient, because he's all-powerful, because he's righteous and so on. No, we've actually received an evidence of that omnipotence. I can hold it in my hands. I can tell others about it. So, bless the Lord. But secondly, to narrow that even further, this is one of the very few psalms in which the author is summoning people to do that. That's what it means when it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, I want to take just a few minutes to walk you through the structure of this psalm so that you can see how this summons will grow. Look at the way it opens. And you can see that, first of all, 
You have a self-summons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, what is the psalmist doing? He is calling his own inner being to do this. In fact, if you go right down through verses 3 to 5, you can see the pronoun your. In verse 4, when you have you, all of those are singular pronouns. In other words, all the way down through verse 5, he's talking about himself and his inner being. So those five verses are a unit because, because there's nothing else like it in the rest of the psalm. They are a self-summons to bless the Lord. Now, look at verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and justice. And look at the change in language here. For all who are oppressed, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Look at verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. You can see there's definitely a change going on here because now he's moved from dealing with himself to speaking about things that refer to all of the Lord's people. So verses 6 to 18 are a second unit. And they're kind of an expansion on the application of the Lord and His benefits. Because now it's a reminder of the Lord's doings to all of us. Throughout this section, the author is referring to what God has done in the past. Right? He's made known His ways to Moses. His acts to the children of Israel. You say, well, that was thousands of years ago. Yes. And he's actually calling attention to that. And he's saying, you know, the way the Lord was with those people, well, he's that way with all of his people. He refers to this right through that section. So what you have is a self-summons to bless the Lord like this, and then this reminder to all of God's people of the Lord's benefits to them. I mean, what is it to bless the Lord again? It is to praise him for something specific that he has given or that he has done for me. Well, here is an expansion on that for all of the Lord's people to consider when it comes to the Lord's benefits. It's the fact that he is always good to his people like that. Then look at verses 19 to 22. Starts out in verse 19 with this wonderful statement of God's sovereignty. Perhaps you're wondering today who's in charge over there in the Ukraine. Um, who's really in control in Canberra? Or in the doctor's office last week? Or in my family? Who is ruling in those times? Well, the, the answer, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Verse 20, bless the Lord, you his angels. Verse 21, bless the Lord, all you his hosts. Verse 22, bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. And then he finally reflects it back on himself with the self-summons again to bless the Lord, O my soul. You can see that the third major section ends with the psalmist summoning again. But in this case, He is summoning all created things to this kind of praise to God. So think about this whole sequence in the psalm for a moment. 
You know, there's a long-standing debate among interpreters over the primary use of this book of Psalms. The debate is over whether it is primarily here for individuals like me and like you to use devotionally, or whether it should primarily be used for the people of God in a corporate worship service. Well, a psalm like this provides an answer, which is, of course, that it is both and. I mean, certainly this book is here for your private devotional use, verses 1 to 5. But then it also transitions from you individually to all of the Lord's people gathered, verses 6 to 18. But what you don't want to overlook is that all of this is on its way to somewhere. And ultimately, there is an eschatology to this psalm because it's pointing to Revelation. When the day comes, verses 19 to 22, and the sovereignty of the Lord will be acknowledged by everything that is in the realm of his dominion. Now, it does start with me in my, in my soul. I, I can't even see my soul, but it's down there. And it starts with my inner self acknowledging the benefits that God has given to me. But then, then it spreads to all of those in verses 6 to 18, which are referred in the, to in the passage as God-fearers. Uh, verse 11, it's those who fear him. Verse 13, it's those who fear him. Verse 17, it's those who fear him. That's true believers. But then ultimately it leads to the angels. It leads to the hosts. It leads to all of his works in all places of his dominion. I think it's a remarkable, expanding, infectious praise. Now that brings me to this thirdly and lastly. What should be apparent by now is that this psalm is numbered in a very small cluster of praise psalms. It's one of the very few that speak of this kind of praise to the Lord, blessing Him. And even among those few, it's an even smaller category because it's one of the few that issues summons like this to praise the Lord. But that brings me to this thirdly, that even among those psalms that summon people to praise the Lord in this way, there's no other psalm like this one. And I want to show you what I mean. If you look at Psalm 104, you'll notice it reads similarly, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Then it ends, verse 35, with bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, my point is this. These are the only two psalms in 150 of them that do exactly that, where the author turns in on his own inner being and says, do this. But Psalm 103 is the psalm that does it more times. You can see it in verses 1 and 2, the end of verse 22, the last line. Verse 1 also says, and all that is within me, do that, bless his holy name. So here now is the remarkable uniqueness to this psalm. In other words, if someone ever asks, well, what is Psalm 103 all about? Is there anything that stands out so that I can remember it? Well, the answer would be that this psalm is unique in this respect, that it is the only psalm in the 150, in which the psalmist so frequently addresses himself and calls on his own soul to do this act of blessing God. 
I mean, the only other sign in which it's done at all is the next one. So it's like, kind of like they're twins. But Psalm 103 does it the most frequently. It does it the most universally because it actually summons all things to do this. I want to make a concluding application based on that. There is a kind of law of spiritual life that we sometimes overlook. And passages like this are designed to help activate it in our life. It basically works in this way. That God has called on us to give glory to Him in what we say about Him. Oftentimes we think about glorifying God, I think, entirely in terms of our service for Him. Glorifying Him with what we do, whether we eat or drink, to give glory to Him, as Corinthians says. But God also calls on us to glorify Him by what we say. And when you read the book of Psalms, you find out that it's almost as if what you say is more important than what you do to God, at least in terms of emphasis. I mean, you have a whole book of 150 chapters addressing you on how to talk about God and how to talk to God. But among those chapters, here is one that he particularly delights in and that makes the deliberate effort to call up to yourself the benefits you have received from him and then to praise him about those things. And when we do that, it's called blessing him. It all starts with talking to yourself because out of the abundance of the heart, our mouths speak and the result of talking to ourselves and summoning ourselves like this should be a tremendous inward change that enables us to glorify God in our speech. But what if we will not do that? What if we dismiss the summons of this psalm? What if we discover that we are just failing to listen to it at all? Well, here is where the spiritual law of life comes in because there is a consequence to that. There's a consequence for not holding our soul accountable for blessing God for all of his benefits and the spiritual consequence, people, is spiritual depression. It's having a spirit or a soul that lacks gladness and happiness. It's a soul that is unsatisfied. It's a soul that is cast down. It's a soul that can't seem to get a on itself. Our inner man becomes depressed spiritually. And the reason this is a consequence is because we fail to do it when we are summoned to do it. I mean, we are called to it. We have a whole book in the Bible that is named after it, phrases. So you're cast down. You're pursued by enemies. You're in trouble. You're in need of something. Well, the final word of every book in the Psalter and of the Psalter itself is praise. Praise the Lord. Let everything that is breath praise the Lord. Now, we've been reading this book all of our Christian lives. All Christians seem to find their way into the book of Psalms very quickly in their Christian experience. I think it's the Spirit of God 
creating an instinct in them to go right to this book, especially when they find themselves in trouble. But God intends that we find our way through that trouble until the final word is always praise. However, when we resist that, we grieve the Spirit of God who gave us this book, and the consequence of that is spiritual depression. It's low spirits. Now, how do we get past that? I mean, you came into our worship service this morning. Some of you undoubtedly were filled with praise to the Lord. And some of you perhaps came in with a cold spirit. Maybe you're unfeeling, you're numb, you're unhappy. Maybe you're angry and bitter, and you know you've got to change that attitude. In fact, it disturbs you that you don't have the same happiness and joy that others seem to have. Well, I want to try and help you with that. Generally speaking, you are like that because you're looking at your hands and you're thinking of something you haven't received. I mean, maybe there's Christians all around you, and when you look at them, it seems like, well, their hands are full with the very thing you want. It's making you emotionally depressed. Well, Psalm 103 is the answer to that. It truly is the apple tree. And I want to encourage you to take a little time this afternoon in order to read this psalm for yourself and find out what God has actually filled the hands of every one of his people with. If you do so, you will see there is a central thing that God has always been doing for his people. I mean, he made it known to Moses. He made it known to the children of Israel. And he's been doing it ever since. And he's been doing it for you. And he's been doing it for me. And that's why you're here today, because your hands really are full of the benefits you've received. In other words, you're thinking about the wrong benefits. You're overlooking the big ones. You're not magnifying the ones that are the most consequential. So read through the psalm yourself and discover what the big things are. And I believe that if you will do that, the Lord will use that to bring some health to your soul that perhaps has been missing for months or even years. You know, God wants you to have a health in your soul, a healthy soul. He wants you to have that. And this psalm is unique in summoning you to bless God and in particular to do that for a certain kind of benefit that you have already received. Let's bow together for prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we bless you. Our souls bless you. The great benefits that you've given to us, many we've spoken of already in this service, we've sung about. We thank you for the direction to praise you. Our Lord, fill our mouths, fill our hearts with praise. And may you lift us from any sense of sadness and bitterness and lack of joy in our lives. Help us to see those things you've given us.
to such wonderful benefits through the Lord Jesus Christ. How grateful we are. We give you thanks for this time that we've had together. May your word make an imprint on us throughout the week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please. Let's sing together. Worthy of worship. Worthy of praise. Thank you. 